because the devil, unlike God, can only be at one place at one time. Chances are, Ben, you and I have never encountered the devil personally in our lives. I think he probably reserves all of his activity for world leaders inspiring warfare and hatred, and also policies that restrict the preaching of the gospel. Um, A gentleman uh, or a person wrote in and asked this question as verbatim, so here we go. I have a friend that is a devout Muslim. He is a very kind and prayerful man. I am a Christian, and he says, we believe in the same God, but part ways at Jesus Christ. Could you please clarify if we do indeed worship the same God? And if so, how do I reconcile the words of Jesus who said, if you have known me, you have known my Father? Right. Let me give you the short and then the long answer to it. The short answer is Christians and Muslims do not worship the same God. Now that I've said that, and I'm going to justify that, let me then say I do know that both Christians and Muslims all agree with one another that there is but one God. So there there is a groundwork for us to speak to one another. Uh, Also, both Christians and Muslims will say that the one God revealed himself to Abraham. So we do have that in common as well. Uh, Muslims tend to also want to say that they affirm the Bible as the Word of God, but then there's a lot of problems because then they'll often contradict the Bible. So that's another issue. I would think that the place where dialogue can begin is that we both say we agree that there is but one God. Then we would say we both agree that the one God is righteous. And many of the attributes that Muslims apply to God, we would agree, but we still don't know whether we're talking about the same God. See, in the end, the one God who eternally exists has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And exactly as the writer, or as the person who asked the question said, that Jesus said, if you had known God, you would have recognized me, we would say that as well. It is not possible to know the one true God, to worship the one true God, and not fall at the feet of Jesus and call him Lord and God. I would also add to that that the Muslim God uh, is not personal in the way in which Christians say that he is, and the Muslim God as well uh, does not say that he is love. He is merciful, according to uh, Muslims, but the idea of loving and compassionate, and that is his heart is moved with tenderness towards his children, is frankly absent in Muslim theology. And so I would think that even while we can have a respectful conversation, I think that Christians and Muslims are going to have to say, we do not worship the same God. John, let's move it to the church, to the present-day church, to judgment within the church. And we all know those words, judge not, yet ye be judged. But how should we understand the idea of judgment? Should we be judging others' behaviors? What does the passage, judge not, yet ye be judged, really refer to? Or are we to judge the behavior of the world around us? What is this all about? Yeah. You know, it has seemed to me that if there's one passage in Scripture that almost everybody knows, even though they can't find it, yes, Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not that you will not be judged. You know, I've, I've heard people say that all the time, and it's often used as an excuse to keep on sinning, and no one better tell me what to do. Yeah. What's fascinating to me is how many people know Matthew 7, 1, but how few know John 7, 24, where Jesus said, in regard to your judgment, make right judgments. So on the one hand, he says, don't judge. And on the other hand, he says, do judge. 
And so if I were to put those two together, it seems to me that when Jesus tells us not to judge, what we are not to judge are those things that we cannot see. And I think what we can't see are the inner, the inner recesses of our hearts. Um, I don't know what motivates you and or even what motivates people around us. I may view someone sinning, but I don't know what the inner recesses of their heart look like. So I think I should not say, you know, you're just proud. That's why you do that. Or uh, you just love to be spoken of well by others. I think that's the kind of judgment of inner attitudes that Christ told us not to judge. But we are told to judge, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where an individual is having sexual relations with a woman out of wedlock. And the church is told to make a judgment. And if the person refuses to repent, to throw that person out of church. Uh, In other words, we can judge overt uh, rebellion against God's word, where an individual simply says, I will not turn and do the things that Scripture demands. We are called upon to make that judgment. So does it come down to what the purposes of judgment are? Well, certainly in 1 Corinthians 5 and in other places, the purpose of judgment is to bring about repentance. Um, So there's there's a soft heart behind this strident demand to do so because the knowledge is there. If a person just keeps on acting in a rebellious fashion, um, they, they end up proving that they've never trusted in Christ in the first place. And so there's a call upon the person to repent. Um, so I think that's what that judgment is called upon us to do. How do you understand uh, the devil or his demons and how they would function today? Yeah, yeah, that's, oh boy, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Uh, I know that Jesus taught that, that, that Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy, and he does. Uh, so the devil comes, I think, to inspire warfare. I think the devil is known to, uh, because the devil, unlike God, can only be at one place at one time. Chances are, Ben, you and I have never encountered the devil personally in our lives. I think he probably reserves all of his activity for world leaders inspiring warfare and hatred, and also policies that restrict the preaching of the gospel. Individual demons are probably territorial, and they are involved in temptation and inciting us also into rebellion against God. Sometimes individuals are uh, uh, influenced by Satan, and sometimes they are actually indwelt by Satan, what we call demon possession. If I had the time, I'd want to say that any true believer has the Holy Spirit living in them and cannot be demon-possessed, although we can be demon-harassed at a number of places. Lots to talk about, but that's the short answer. What is the responsibility of a Christian to his or her spouse and potentially children if they're not professing Christians. Yeah. Now, the Bible does speak about that in 1 Corinthians 7. Um, it does tell us, uh, first of all, that, um, that uh, the children of, the, uh, of, the, of that marriage ought to be prayed for and regarded as holy. Uh, we do know, for instance, that Timothy would have had a believing mother, but he would have had an unbelieving father. And I often say that, especially to those women who are married to a non-believer, I would want to say to them, you know, don't think it's lost. Pray for your kids and, uh, and await for God to act in a most unusual way. I would also say to those of you that are listening who are grandparents, 
If you have children who do not believe and you wonder what role can I have towards my grandchildren, I would say take the initiative. It's amazing how many people I've spoken with who've said, my parents didn't believe, but my grandparents did, and that's how I came, how I came to faith in Christ. So I would say great hope, um, but I would also say this, that the believing spouse in a unequal relationship ought to pray for that spouse and, and continue to do so, but, if, uh, but they should not look to leave that spouse because that marriage uh, is, now, is now final. Um, they should continue to remain in that marriage and continue to serve Christ as best they can within that marriage. If the unbeliever leaves, as Paul says, then you ought to let them go. It sort of becomes personal on that point. Uh, uh, my wife herself has, has lived many years now with a chronic uh, illness. Uh, and, uh, and over these years, as she's walked in faith, she's come alongside of people that have said to her, there must be sin in your life for that to be still there or else God would have healed you. What would you say to that? Well, I would always begin by saying that the cross of Jesus has taught me that all sin in my life was dealt with in the death of Jesus. Mm. He paid for my sin. Now, if it should be that Deb, your wife, uh, has to still pay for some sins, then we're saying that the cross of Jesus Christ is not altogether glorious. So I would say, first of all, to that person, they're not denigrating your wife. They're denigrating the cross. And they're saying the most despicable thing that can be said about Jesus and about the God who made us promises in that cross. And the individual that says that needs to repent for such an act of irreverence against God. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, John. Uh, That's a great encouragement. And I'm sure an encouragement for many have heard it as well. What do you think the role of the church is today on the outside, to our nation, to our society? We seem to be having a sort of a diminishing influence. Uh, Should we have more? Well, uh, yes, we should have more. Um, And I think the situation in Canada is becoming uh, really perplexing for the church uh, because no one either in the media or in education or in politics is even asking the question, what does the Bible say or what do Christians or the church actually say about this? I mean, we talk about abortion. Uh, We could talk about, you know, what should be our role as uh, Canadian armed forces in various countries in the world, which, you know, we're discussing today. Um, There are other questions that we ask, uh, everything from capital punishment. You've asked the question in one of these broadcasts about euthanasia, and I think we need to speak into them. So I think the Christian church must find creative ways uh, in which we can speak to social issues. I would think that the greatest issue that we could help could speak to in our culture today is the matter of life. Um, those areas which affect life, we should be speaking into them because I think we will be listened to. Um, we have in Canada, of course, the Canadian Evangelical Fellowship, which seeks to speak to uh, our nation in, in, in regards to uh, issues like that. And, and I would want to cheer those, those items on. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth in Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info at backtothebible.ca or find us on Facebook by searching Truth in Life Today. Thank you.